Major Lindsay in Africa presents Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. Welcome to Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health issues in the legal profession. My name's Mark Yacono. I'm your host. I'm a managing director with Major Lindsay in Africa in its Transform Advisory Services Consulting Practice. We have had over the course of the last several months guests from all spectrum of the mental health community, from advocates to authors to clinicians uh, to recovering lawyers to mindful lawyers. And today, my guest, Michael Kahn from Real Time Creative Learning Experience, is both a retired lawyer and an active licensed therapist. And we thought, given the times we're in, in the midst of this pandemic and this civil unrest that someone with Michael's perspective would be a great person to talk to. Michael, first, welcome. Second, tell the audience about yourself because I'm sure you'll do it better than me. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I am a retired lawyer, practiced law for six years with the New Jersey Attorney General's office. I am from New Jersey and I um, represent the Department of Corrections and the Department of Environmental Protection. I, at some point, in two or three years in, I decided uh, or, or started wondering whether law was a good fit for me. And then it took me another three years to figure out, okay, now what? And um, then eventually went back to school, got a master's in counseling, and I've been a therapist since 1994 was a therapist in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I lived for a while, and moved out west. I'm now in Vancouver. I actually am doing um, some counseling for the Lawyer Assistance Program of BC. That sounds uh, great, and it's a really interesting place to live. Um, it is. You may or may not know that one of my prior guests, Dr. John Agrodnichuk, at the University of British Columbia is doing a tremendous amount of great work up there uh, on men's mental health issues. I and did not so know that. I'll, I'll, I'll want to get his name from uh, or write down his name after we're through. My, my partner actually is going to UBC to get her PhD. Yes, it's one of the largest uh, uh, training programs for psychiatrists and psychologists, and Dr. O, as I like to call him because it's easier to say has been on the forefront of these issues. So one of the hmm. great things about this podcast is we can connect good people. I remember when we first talked, I was in my um, mid stint of 54 days of seclusion down in the Outer Banks of North Carolina, uh, exploring the depths of just how deeply I could bore myself. And we were really <laughs> at the outset of um, yeah. self-quarantine and sheltering in place. Right. In our original conversation, really focused on um, the grieving process, what it's like to lose your sense of normalcy, and what it's like to go from a work environment that's comfortable, has a rhythm, to having that disrupted and having to deal with all sorts of other stimuli. And, and we mm -hmm. thought that that was a worthwhile topic then. Um, because so many people are going through change. When people have to change their routine, is it really grief that they feel or is it just sort of anxiety or are the two intermixed? Mm. 
Well, anxiety certainly can be a, uh, a fall within grief. grief. Grief covers a lot of different emotions, uh, sadness, fear, anger, despair, helplessness, hopelessness, um, feeling deprived. So, so the, the word grief um, is, when we say we're grieving, it can cover a lot of different feelings. Um, when you ask about routine, sure, I think if, if it's, particularly with this pandemic, it's changed our routine significantly. And the loss of that kind of um, knowing what my day is going to look like being comfortable with my, what my day is going to look like, then all of a sudden it's completely changing and having to get used to that. Working from home, for example, there are, I call it mini grief, mini losses that we're uh, experiencing during this pandemic and some very significant losses, obviously, due to, to death and uh, losing your job and business closures. So it really runs a spectrum right now of mini losses that are adding up to very serious, significant losses. It's almost like sometimes you get stabbed and sometimes you get a thousand paper cuts. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they all sort of they all take a toll. Is is kind of the view I I've come to think about over the Agreed. last seventy five days. These little ones, these little um, uh, did you refer to it as paper cuts um, or pinpricks or Something like that. However, yeah, um, the same concept. <laughs> yeah, they, um, they, they, they're kind of insidious because we, uh, at least in the beginning, maybe more, more people are, are aware of it now, there's they're something that we didn't even notice, uh, such as um, just canceled events, things that we were going to go to, like weddings or travel or um, graduation for you know some of the uh, teenagers uh, gradu- graduating or or um, loss of opportunities sense of control um, the, or or just base just just human gestures you know I mean we we see I remember reading something uh, within the last week or two uh, where they were talking about the parks opening back up but that people still need to be um, vigilant. Uh, about keeping distance from others. And they said, just consider the other people around you. Um, consider that they're grizzly bears. <laughs> and that's just, that just caught my attention, like that we're, we're looking at other people and they're a threat to us. And that's just weird and understandable, obviously. But to think that we're not able to have these human gestures and connection and, and people are, are more threats to our safety and health is just uh, that that's a loss as well. When I was down at the Outer Banks, um, I would get up early and I would walk. Sometimes I'd walk on the beach and sometimes I'd walk on a sidewalk. And typically when the Outer Banks is in season, there are lots of people and people passing each other on foot and mm-hmm. bike. And it was really striking to me that as you walked towards someone walking the opposite direction, we both instinctively would look down and move apart. Mm-hmm. And, and, and mm-hmm. that seems so unnatural to be antisocial. 
Um, yeah. Not much was known. Um, they weren't recommending people wear masks then, just then. Later on in the, my, my, my tour, they were. But it was just that physical pushing apart of people. And one of the things I wondered about was, you know, work in some ways is where we spend time with people that we see far more than our own family sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we develop relationships and rhythms. And it's not just routine people are grieving over. It's, it's the loss of that connectivity, isn't it? Yes, sure. No question. And, and we've been able to connect through things like Zoom and um, um, Skype and things like that. But, and, and that's great. But they not being in the presence of, of friends and colleagues um, can really be difficult. Now, it's harder for those of us who are extroverted, where I fall, than for those who are introverted. And I've, I've even read some introverted folks talk about, at least in the beginning, uh, that they were just loving this uh, sheltered home, uh, or at least some introverts were. Uh, but for the most part, even, even obviously even folks who are introverted need connection. And there is a great loss when we're not be able we're not able to spend time with those that um, we enjoy spending time with. I'm an introvert, and mm. the first um, two weeks I was down the Outer Banks by myself were quite peaceful and serene. The second two weeks were okay, and by <laughs> weeks um, four and five, I could not wait to get home. Um, mm-hmm. the isolation and the loneliness and I'm, I'm an introvert and I miss people in right. interaction and connectivity. Um, I would um, go to the grocery store and stay behind the plexiglass shield and talk to the cashier as long as I could <laughs> <laughs> when I was right. down there. Yeah. I think, you know, George Floyd was killed and yet another mm. African-American male was killed as a result of police violence and it has unleashed a tremendous amount of anger and unrest and justifiable mm-hmm. um a justifiable level of rage that this keeps happening and i know within our own yeah. company we have tried to be very empathetic and to be there for our colleagues of color and um one thing that struck me last night is when you're going through a process like the pandemic pandemic and you're feeling grief, mm-hmm. what happens when that's overlaid with guilt? Because mm. at least from my own perception, there is some level of guilt that we, that I, a white male don't completely understand the perspective of people who live in fear of the police every day. Mm-hmm. And as someone who's been primar- primarily focused on getting through the pandemic um, and, and now realizing that's just one, <laughs> that's just one problem I have versus a whole group of people who have a, who have exponentially as serious other problems. How do grief and guilt do they do they collide sometimes, or does one exacerbate the other? Uh, boy, yeah, that's a question that we could spend a lot of time on. It it covers more than one 
issue uh, around um, grief and and privilege, um, and um, and obviously prejudice and bias and sy systemic um, racism. Um, I think I'll answer your question this way. I, I I think what the pandemic has done, as I'll speak from my own personal experience, my reservoir of coping is tapped. And sometimes it's empty. And some, so I need to find ways to replenish uh, that reservoir. And, um, but I do find uh, that sometimes I don't have what I need to deal with things outside of just being able to deal with the day-to-day -day issues that I'm dealing with. So when I see things happening in the United States, where I'm in Vancouver now, particularly what you're describing, and not just Floyd, but um, is it uh, Arbery um, mm -hmm. yes. uh, down in Georgia, and um, and multiple other situations that have happened over years and decades um, it's it's hard it, it hits me even more than it than it usually does because I'm in such personal um, discomfort at times that when I see that going on there it, it uh, it's even harder for me to to uh, process um, so when you say you're experiencing guilt about not be and, and I when I hear you saying, Mark, is that you feel guilty that you have a certain amount of privilege that you had, don't experience much of what what we're seeing uh, people of color experiencing down there, but also day to day. Is am I understanding you correctly about that? I think that's fair, and I think it's that that I don't have a backdrop to appreciate. What it means to have a lack of privilege. So, so yeah, I think right. we're saying the same thing, and I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are feeling that way. And this isn't really meant to focus on well, how to make people with privilege feel better about not feeling good about having privilege. It's really about the complexity mm -hmm. of coping in right. uncertain times where where there are movements that are so much bigger than us individually, and you know, there are just collective forces happening that we can't control, but but yet we have to function in order to even be a constructive part of a dialogue or have empathy or grow understanding. Yeah, and guilt guilt is certainly a, a, an understandable reaction to have um, where it can become a problem if we're talking just about the, this area of um, uh, fighting against um, the systemic um, racism and sexism, et cetera, in our country, that not to get stuck in guilt, because we need to get process the guilt and then act, whatever that acting looks like. Because um, if we stay in guilt, that's not helpful for anybody. Um, that paralyzes us from, from doing anything does. constructive. Exactly. That's right. That's right. And um, and I would say grief, I mean, obviously, the folks, one of the emotions that the folks are having um, who are protesting is grief directly over, over the, 
the, the individuals who were killed, um, but also just old, old grief that's triggered and over and over the, the losses that, that folks in, in communities of color have experienced. And, and to me also, um, my, my, the grief I'm experiencing as well is just the grief over where uh, the U.S. has is, is been heading. Um, and my, my view of what I perceive the U.S. to stand for and, and uh, when, when things happen that, are, don't, that, that don't fall into that vision I have, I feel a sense of uh, larger grief about that. It's it's as if the the grief is is really really around not only the people that have been lost recently, mm-hmm. but the people who have been lost for decades and decades That's and right. decades. Yeah. And then yeah. perhaps we're all grieving what we think or believe to be an assault on our institutions and our values as well. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So from your perspective as a clinician working your way through this turbulent time and this pandemic and, and granted Canada has seemed to have had a bit more of a st- stability, at mm-hmm. least in terms of its leadership. What have you seen with respect to the lawyers you're treating and seeing and helping? Uh, mm-hmm. how, how, how is this, um, how is this um, necessity as you put it before we got on the air of having to find a new way to cope every day? How is that manifesting itself in a profession that's already struggling to um, to keep its bearings psychologically and mentally? Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, at at, uh, at LAPBC, one of the things we've been doing is uh, offering a drop-in support group on Zoom for lawyers to come in and talk about. Um, issues that have come up, concerns, challenges. And um, so we do, I have heard from a lot of lawyers, both in this group and individually. And um, they're, they're dealing with some of the, pretty much some of the same things that I hear from friends and, and family. Uh, this, one of the things I didn't mention that I hear about, hear from the lawyers is anticipatory grief. This idea that I'm not sure what's going to happen. Yes, we're dealing with stuff that we know now, things that have changed, like my hours at work have changed or, or my, my uh, salary has been reduced. And I don't know how long this is going to last. And I don't know what it's going to look like on the other side. Is our firm going to survive? Am I going to survive if I'm a solo practitioner? Um, Relationships have been challenged, not work relationships necessarily, but I haven't heard as much about that, but personal relationships, living under the same roof, uh, marriages that uh, where they found a way to to manage the issues they have with with each other uh, when things were quote unquote normal now with this pandemic and working under the same roof both working under the same roof, having the kids at home, learning um, online, having to to juggle all that has, what I've heard uh, another therapist say, has for some 
couples accelerated the issues that they already had and accelerated them to the point where um, their relationships may not survive. Uh, now, to be fair, there are also folks who have um, gained from this and, and been able to work together as a couple and learn that they have the, uh, the resources to be resilient. So I don't want to make it completely a um, pessimistic uh, view, but, but it well, has, and I think it's it has fair been to, a challenge. I think it's fair to say that one of the observations that I've had is there are lots of paradoxes. There are mm -hmm. some people who have been able to spend some time doing some meaningful learning or mm -hmm. getting themselves in better shape or restoring or repairing or growing not only their relationship with their spouse, but with their children. And sometimes they're not just their young children or children that are still at home, but their adult children, um, mm -hmm. because this this pandemic has provided uh, an unusual time for them to, to be in one place. Right. So I, I, I think it's fair to say that the, the people's experiences with quarantine and the pandemic have, have, have been mixed, but that there is a generalized fear of what's going to happen next, yeah. If if we'll, and, and, and I think that people are functioning under what I would call sort of um, a steady state of stress now. And in the U.S., mm -hmm. that stress has been amplified by yes. all of our all of our 200 and some odd years of um, systemic injustice continuing continuing to cycle over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Especially, in, yeah. especially hitting a community that's been disproportionately um, impacted by COVID and, and, and the impact of the, the virus. Where that's a the, really good point. Really good point that the people of color and low-income um, communities. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it's like really, really does does it have to be that these folks who have had such a, you know, um, been been given such a, a poor hand in our country. Now that now they have to also be hit the hardest by COVID. It's just uh, it's it, it's just something that is is um, so I can't think of the right word, but so completely unfair. It, it compounds what's already an unfair, mm -hmm. profoundly unfair set of social circumstances and a profoundly unfair environment mm -hmm. when you think of people having equal opportunity to succeed and to feel safe. Um, I guess one of the things that uh, I'm curious is how you're guiding patients through this in terms of coping. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'm not interested in hearing that you're telling more people to meditate more, but <laughs> Maybe you are, um, but, but I, 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 the sure, meditation that's, mantra. That's one thing is, that can help. <laughs> the meditation mantra is wear, wearing thin on me. Um, <laughs> maybe because I'm a bad meditator. I don't know. Um, but but you know we're um, we're being confronted with unprecedented circumstances, and mm -hmm. while I think controlled breathing has a place in this world. I don't think you can breathe this away, especially since we have not seen this type of social unrest 
and 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 physical fear of life on and and I'll, and God knows how long. And yeah, I'm just curious um, how you how you how you, how you advise how you help clients formulate coping strategies, understanding that there's no one set of things you do that make you able to cope. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, I just thought of another piece to all this. What what I talk to lawyers about, the lawyers I see, either individually or in group, is the first thing they need to do is is to name and acknowledge what they're experiencing. That this that we are I we are experiencing or I am experiencing a loss. A loss is. And then to name the feeling. <laughs> whatever the feeling is. So acknowledge the reality of the loss or losses and then feel the feelings and name them. So I said earlier all the different feelings we could have. Yeah. Do you find that lawyers struggle with that? They can. Um, one of the stereotypical traits that lawyers have is, is valuing the analytical more so than emotions. Because the head and the analysis, that is one of the one of the principal tools we use as lawyers, analysis. And we don't really we're not really taught in law school about uh, mind body and and consider and, and self care and all that stuff. So we can leave law school and um, and, and not understand the value of information we can get from our emotions. So yes, that can be, in fact, last I, I did a grief group last night online and that was one of the topics we talked about is uh, some of the traits, common lawyer traits that could get in the way of grieving. One of them being undervaluing emotions. Um, so we talk about that. We talk about the tendency to, to be intolerant of our weaknesses or, or being vulnerable, prone to being isolated, um, pessimism and perfectionism, all those things can potentially get in the way of grieving. And then we talk about uh, not judging the emotions that we're having and not comparing our pain to someone else's because we can tend to do that too. I mean, not just lawyers, this can apply to everyone where, you know, let's say I'm feeling grief over the fact that um, all of these celebrations that I was gonna go to or this travel that I had planned or the fact that I'm not getting to see colleagues at work, that that doesn't compare to X, to the grief that, that someone else is experiencing. But I talk to folks about not judging that, that if you feel sad, you feel sad. Your pain is painful, whether it, however it compares to someone else's loss. So to get them just to be in the feeling, to acknowledge it, and, um, and then of course, to share it with someone else, not to isolate yourself, and which lawyers, as, as, as I said previously, can tend to do. And, and forgive me for saying this, Mark, but, but uh, mindfulness can definitely help with all this. You know, just pausing. Oh, believe me, I, I, I am not an enemy of mindfulness. <laughs> I, I, am, I know. 
I know. I am not in the least. <laughs> and I know there's someone who will listen to this podcast who's going to send me a howler of an email. I promise you. <laughs> um, I am a believer that we can't we 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 can't use the language of uh, mindfulness as a as a as a cure all. You raised a right. very interesting point, and I, mm-hmm. I call it sort of the the inverse of social media um, mm-hmm. phenomenon. You know, people curate their lives on social media, and if you mm-hmm. compare yourself against their curated life, right. oftentimes right. you just feel like a pretty boring, dull, ugly, um, ugly person because failure. you're seeing yeah. failure because you're seeing people, you know, in the best light with the best pictures, um, carefully omitting <laughs> the jagged edges of their life. And it sounds right. to me like when you're talking about grief, it's kind of mm-hmm. like a similar thing. You feel sad, but when you try to minimize how you're feeling because someone mm-hmm. might have sadder circumstances, you're not helping yourself either by dismissing your own grief no. as not being important enough. Right. That's right. And and um, I like how you put that curated, they're presenting their curated life. Um, and it reminds me what a client who was uh, recovering and in AA, what he told me once, um, that we need to avoid comparing our inside self to someone else's outside self. And that's, that's apples to oranges. Because really all we're seeing when we see folks on social media, or even when for a lot of folks we interact with on a uh, regular or semi-regular basis, is we're seeing their outsides. We're really not seeing what's, what, what's going on with them internally, their worries, their struggles. So it's, it's, it's very um, unproductive to, but, but, but <laughs> seductive as well to compare ourselves to folks, how they present themselves on social media. We're having the feelings, whether we want to minimize them or not, they're in there. So you can't, you can't, they're not going to disappear. You can't just uh, push them away and, and have them disappear. It, it's best to go towards emotions, not to go away from them. And that's, and that's where um, I talk about mindfulness as an opportunity to just pause and, and be present with how you're feeling. And, um, and of course, there may be times where you need to just compartmentalize it. Um, like if you're in a meeting with a client, um, you, you, want to do your best to to put it aside as best you can and be present with the client or you tell the client um i gotta go get a drink of water and gather yourself so it can be challenging certainly in in a in a work environment um but for the most part it's so important to go towards the emotion and to to feel it to experience it and that's the way you move through it not by pushing it away I think that is a really good point is, is sometimes you have to let it sit and feel it so that you can move through it. Before we, we, we leave today, I, I want to delve into a topic that's um, important to me. Um, and that's how you begin to discern people who are responding in a stress and grief 
way as a result of circumstances and those whose circumstances exacerbated because they may have an un underlying biological disease of the mind. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times when we talk about mental health and the legal profession, I think personally the narrative has been framed in terms of stress, anxiety, mm -hmm. um, coping, um, substance abuse, but we don't necessarily talk about the fact that sometimes what we're feeling or how we're behaving or how we are acting is actually a biological disease of the mind. And I, I'm curious how you begin to, when you see patients, suss out when, when, when their issues might not just be driven by circumstance, but might, might be driven by brain chemistry. And um, I don't think that gets enough attention all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, one one of the things that we look for certainly at at LAP is, um, and that's lawyer assistance is, program of British Columbia, right? Correct. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And that that will will look at how are they, how is someone functioning at work? Are they able to um, are they able to stay on top of their client? Uh, on other files, or do they stay in touch with their clients? Do they show up on time to meetings, to court, um, and and how are they interacting with staff and with colleagues? That can be a sign of a larger issue. Uh, could be substance abuse uh, or dependence. Could be depression. Um, could be some anxiety disorder. But th those are those can be red flags that that there's a bigger issue going on here beyond just uh, more um, kind of the day-to-day -day, uh, depressed mood or anxiety. That those are those are some of the things I look for in terms of how is the person functioning professionally and and personally as well, um, and and are they able to to um, are they able to to satisfy their day-to-day -day obligations? So, in essence, you're looking at whether or not they're able to they're able to um, do what they're supposed to do every day, meet their mm -hmm. obligations, and mm -hmm. whether or not there's anything to suspect that there's something, whether it be brain chemistry or substance abuse, mm -hmm. that actually keep them from functioning as they're supposed to function in society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and information from folks who are, who are in their lives on a regular basis, whether it be colleagues or family, is, can be helpful too. If their if behavior has changed in a significant way, uh, if they're quote unquote not themselves. Um, it could also be seen as more higher irritability or uh, anger. Um, it's interesting, you know, we do, and I didn't mention this in my introduction, but, but uh, what real-time CLE does is generally offer uh, workshops, CLE and, and uh, professional development programs on uh, ethics and stress and um, um, uh, diversity. Um, but one of the thing, one of the programs we do is is uh, about dealing with difficult people in the practice of law, like those folks who who might uh, 
because of their behavior lead you to be unprofessional or even unethical because you're you're responding to them in a uh, in an unhealthy way. But often those folks who are difficult for us, um, that there's something going on with them. And I've heard stories where lawyers will ask, and this is, uh, I'll give you a specific situation. This one lawyer, I forget where it was, uh, was dealing with uh, an opposing counsel and, and he knew him, not super well, but he knew him enough that when he spoke to him on the phone uh, and this, this opposing counsel was just rude and and um, uh, really curt and um, uh, disrespectful. And the lawyer who was telling me the story said, John, you, this is not you, what's going on? And that question led the, this opposing counsel to just personally share what was going on with him. And it wasn't anything uh, any any mental health disorder. It was stuff going on in his life that what brought him to the point of where he couldn't cope anymore, and it was coming out as uh, irritability and anger. So sometimes just that, and this is going a little bit off your question, but sometimes just asking someone what's going on will will take them will lower the temperature. And and people will will just that question, knowing someone is cares and is interested, will help folks kind of exhale and and even maybe talk about what's going on. I think that that's a really important point, and and it's a point I've heard over the last probably three to four to five months when people talk about training in mental health first aid. And they talk mm -hmm. about how you can potentially help a colleague. And mm -hmm. the interesting thing is from folks that are leading well-being programs at firms to advocates to clinicians, one of the things that they have said is exactly what you said. Ask someone how they're doing. Ask mm -hmm. them how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And as, as I thought, as I sat through some really thoughtful discussions within our firm yesterday about the events um, arising out of most recently, not arising out of, but arising out of most recently, the murder of George Floyd, you know, engaging our African-American colleagues and how they are doing mm -hmm. and what can we do yeah. to support them, but yeah. that not shy away from um, reaching out. And I think the same can be said for folks that are struggling in other ways. And you can see they're struggling, especially if you know that they're not that person that you're seeing. And, 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 right. and so, you know, it's a concept you talked about earlier in the podcast, earlier in this episode about, you know, living with that emotion. I think it's also leaning in and living with what you're seeing and asking mm -hmm. questions and not sort of trying to shield your eyes from it. And, and, and I think that that is one of the best pieces of advice that I have gotten over the last three to four months is to ask, how are you doing? Can I help? Can I, can I yeah, listen? And doing, it, and doing it in such a way, not, not how we tend to do it in our society where you just walk past somebody, how you doing? And, and by the time they may want to answer the question, you're two or three steps past them, but really ask thoughtfully, and genuinely, how are you? Or mindfully. And what's going right. on. Or mindfully, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, being present with yourself 
Yeah, it needs to be with yourself first because you need to then you need to be aware of that other person and and how you're experiencing them, but then be present with them. Yeah. The power of listening is can't can't be undervalued of being heard of really feeling like someone is listening to you because it doesn't happen very often for for us and to have someone sit across from us and not be distracted and truly uh, listening to us. I think that that is a perfect way to close our time together. The power of listening and allowing someone to be heard mm-hmm. cannot be underestimated in its positive impact. Michael, thank you for taking time out of your day. I am <laughs> greatly appreciative of your perspective and you're willing to take on the topic, yeah. topics of grief, grief, guilt, and listening. And um, this is Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. My guest today has been Michael Kahn, real-time creative learning experience. So for those of you, when he referred to real-time CLE, that's not continuing legal education. It's real-time uh, creative learning experience. And do you, would you like to share your uh, web address and contact information in case people want to reach I w- out? I would. Thank you. And, and the CLE, um, just, just to be clear, it, it, we do continuing legal education programs, to, but it's broader than that. So it's, that's why we call it creative learning experiences. You can find out more about our programs at real-time CLE.com. Well, thank you so much. Uh, listeners, please check out his website. I've done it, and um, it's very interesting. They do a lot of really great programming, and um, I encourage you to check it out because, as you've heard from this podcast, I've had the privilege of sitting with a very thoughtful man. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.